mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We began 1 Peter last week. I thought we would have got through more, uh, but somebody actually added way too much of an introduction to it, and it, we got through two verses. Now, I want you to understand, though, again, by way of uh, repeating repetitiveness, is that when Peter writes this book in A.D. 64-65, somewhere in that time, the persecution in Rome has begun to be amped up. So the First Peter is going to be a great book as we look at the persecution that's being amped up in our culture today on Christians, on morality, on things that are godliness. When we look at our death culture, See, that's what it is. It's death culture because the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And what's he trying to murder? He's trying to murder the authority of God, the word of God, the truth of God. And he brings doubt on it and gets you to question it. And then he removes the authority of God from your life to where you begin to have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. And we're really starting to see this. And if you haven't seen any attack as a Christian, then maybe you should go sit down in your prayer closet and say, what am I doing where they don't even know that I'm a Christian? How am I living to where I don't even, re- I don't even feel any pressure at being a Christian person on the planet today? Because the world and Christianity are diametrically opposed. And if you love God, they will hate you. And the word hate, actually, in case you think it means something really bad, it really means to love less. They're not going to want to hear what you have to say. They're not going to want to know what you're talking about. They're not going to want to go where you're going and do what you're doing. Because as a Christian, our message is all about sin and salvation. And Satan doesn't want to hear that. He wants to kill that message that there's salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus. That the blood of Jesus sets us free. So really as we see this, we, we, we begin to see that persecution is going to get amped up. Listen to me. You can remain silent all you want. It's coming. The Equality Act that they're getting ready to completely sign is going to bring most of the persecution. It's going, to, it's going to attack in a big way the church where they will be able to start putting pastors or Christians in prison for what they believe and what they say. Their hate crimes bill will be the next one. You might not even hear about that yet. They've been trying to pass it for a long time. They have the power to pass it now. So therefore, you won't be able to preach Romans 1. You won't be able to preach, preach certain things. And they are the one that ambiguously call it a hate crimes bill. And then they get to tell you what's a hate crime. 
then they get to define it because they're the government. They are under the sway of the wicked one, and we need to understand that. Now, I'm not trying to preach civil disobedience or any type of insurrection. I'm not telling you to arm up because Christ is my defense. The gospel is my defense. The gospel is my power. The gospel is my freedom and my hope. So you don't have to arm up. You don't have to do anything except stand. That's it. And the victory that Christ wrought for us on the cross of Calvary. And you, when you do that, you don't just confess Jesus as Lord, but you profess Him as Lord. They go together. They're tandem. They're like two axles on the back of a truck. Without both of them there, the truck's going nowhere. And if your life is going nowhere in Christ, it's because you're not confessing and professing. See, because the gospel becomes yours. The truth becomes yours. You become sanctified. That's where we're at. We're here in 1 Peter 1 for obedience. When you're baptized into the body of Christ, the Spirit of God sanctifies you, purifies you, perfects you once and for all positionally in heaven. And if that happens, then there's a desire in you because of the Spirit of God to be fully sanctified. To, you, you begin to, your body begins to groan for redemption and to fulfillment of sanctification, which is your desires, your actions, your body. Everything about you is used for the glory of God. Now, I know that in our culture, and I call it culturanity, it's probably really closer to uh, Revelation 17, the great harlot that joins the world, that becomes like the world, that follows the spirit of Rome, that does the things that the world does and says, I'm saved, I'm okay. Well, see, that's a deceptive whore. That's not somebody that's a chaste bride to Christ. That's a deception of a whore that would say, I've done nothing. I eat and I'm clean and my mouth is wiped clean and I'm good. You can't live in the world and, and practice harlotry and idolatry and not be led by the Spirit of God to do the work of God and then say, I'm okay, I'm going to heaven. That's the greatest deception in the church today. That's why I don't do altar calls. All I do is encourage you to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship and to have a love relationship with God. Because if it's not a love relationship with God, then it's false religion. It's a harlot. It's not true. It isn't happening if you're not being led by the Spirit. Now, I'm not telling you that you're perfect yet, although positionally you are perfected, sanctified. But you should be practically desiring to be further clothed the Bible calls it, with the person, the image of Christ, conformed into His image is what the Holy Spirit is doing. So these are really, really important things when we begin to live as Christians. But the great harlot, the, the culturanity, the, the, the system that's out there now that's being ran by the Antichrist has led us to believe that all you need to do is say a prayer and you're fine. And if that's your Christianity, let me tell you today, you're not fine. You're not fine. You're not okay. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul said to test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. If all we do is live for self after we said a prayer, I guarantee you, you didn't mean it in your heart. 
The self-life is the dead life. The self-life is to be crucified in the grave, buried with dirt on it. It's supposed to be dead. And if you don't have any desire to kill your desires, if you don't have any desire to be dead and let Christ live, then you haven't even got to the finish or starting line yet. See, so many people think, oh, I'm just not doing what that Christian's doing. Oh, I just maybe backslidden in a couple areas. No, most Christians haven't front slid yet. They haven't even slid into the cross. They haven't even met the person of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're baptized into the body of Christ and God comes to live in your heart, there's got to be a change. There's got to be a difference. This is not to shame or guilt or bother you. This is to wake you up. You cannot stay the same person and go with God. You cannot stay and do the same things every day and think just because some preacher told you, say a prayer and believe in your heart, you'll be fine. Listen, if you really believe in your heart, the Spirit, God Himself comes and lives in you. Then He can begin to tear down the walls and do reconstruction on everything that's going on in your heart so that your desires change, your life change, the places you go change, the things you do change. That You're no longer focused on sin nature and self. You're focused on others just like God is. That's what the Spirit of God brings. Do you remember that in the Old Testament when God walked in a personal love relationship with Adam and Eve They had no fear. All they had was great provision on a perfect planet. That's our position. Perfect. But in practicality, when their hearts decided to listen to doubt and follow the devil, it separated that fellowship, that love relationship. And God had to kill the first animal. Blood had to be spilled to do what? To cover their works. See, that's what the whole law is about. When we're getting ready to look at Hebrews here in a minute, I'm a little bit ahead of myself. But the law was there to cover, never to take away sins. It was just like the first animals that God killed to cover their private parts. The law was there to cover your private morality so that God didn't have to kill the Old Testament saints. And they could continue to look forward to a coming Messiah who would die the just for the unjust once for all. That their sins would be taken away. Cast as far as the east is from the west. Thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. I don't know if you guys know it, but the east and the west never meet. If you're going north and south, you go north, you're going to end up going south again. But if you're going east and west, you can just keep going east and west, never meets them. And that's where God has thrown our sin, if we truly are forgiven. But if we're truly forgiven, the Spirit of God dwells in us and begins to sanctify and purify us according to God's Word. Not according to some culturanity or some harlot or something else you've been told, but according to the Word of God. You know, that's just why they want you not to be in the Word of God. That's why there's so much else going on in this carnival, in this world of entertainment. Because if you keep following it and just saying, well, I said that prayer that one time. Then you're always at the starting line or never even started. But you never enjoy this life. You never reach the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you're not... Dealing with that today, then I just want to remind you of it. Because to deal with it 
in heaven at the white throne judgment is going to be not good for you. It's not the place to do it. 927 of Hebrews says, For it is appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. You want to judge yourself today. You want to know today, is the Spirit of God in me? And if it is, then why am I not being sanctified? Why do I only care about my toys? And why am I not sharing them? And why am I not doing the things that it does to have evidence of a saved soul? Listen, the Word of God will keep you from yourself. And yourself will keep you from the Word of God. I know you guys thought I was going to say sin, didn't you? See, but that's exactly what it is. If you're living for self, you're living for your sin nature and you're deceiving yourself. But if you're living for God, you're no longer living for self, you're living for others. So Peter opens this letter, and we'll read. He writes to the pilgrims um, in the dispersion, those that are scattered everywhere. He tells the cities they're at. He calls them the chosen or the elect. And, and, and the reason he can do that is because God foreknowledge. He foreknew those who would choose him, so he chose them. In sanctification of the Spirit, that's the beginning line. That's the starting line. Sanctification of the Spirit. Set apart by the Spirit of God. Baptized into the body of Christ. For what? Obedience. Now, nobody's got that perfect, but that's the reason we've come back to God. Because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, we inherited a sin nature. But now that we come back to God because of the full obedience of Christ by the blood of Christ, see, even the Son of Man was obedient to the point of death on a cross. He learned perfect obedience through the things that he suffered, we're told in the book of Hebrews. What? He learned it. I thought he already was it. He was an example for you and I. The things that we're going through, the testings, the trials, all of them can be goads or lessons to move us into the will of God for the glory of God. To learn how to allow our desires to be changed by the Spirit of God. Our path to be changed by the Spirit of God. So that we are in the way with God instead of thinking we're okay when we're not. See, because Romans 8, 14, once again, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Remember what God did? He walked with Adam and Eve. And then something interrupted, some disobedience interrupted the authority of God. The relationship with God. So he used the law to cover that interruption until a period when Christ would come. And then what happened? God come back to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, which is probably who it was in the garden, the Christophany, what we call a theophany, God with us. And here, now he's walking with 12 disciples. He's walking with 70 people. He's teaching the masses. And he's talking to them about all these things that the Bible tells us the prophets longed to look into. They didn't understand it. They knew it was coming, but they couldn't comprehend it. They just wrote what God told them to write. And then Christ laid down his life. After this, after this perfect life that he lived, perfect obedience, he laid it down before the Father. 
He died for us. He rose again on the third day. Then he walked with them again for 40 more days. And what was he doing? He was teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Why? So that they could obey him. They could observe them. They could follow them. They could understand them. And they could have this relationship. And then he ascended and he sent back the Holy Spirit so that he could come and walk with each person in their heart through the sanctification of the Spirit. When you're set apart. Now, what does that mean, sanctification of the Spirit? Remember this. We talked about this. And I don't mind being repetitive. I really don't. I hope you get it when I'm repetitive because it's a really good lesson. That's how I learn. I used to get hit in the nose, hit in the nose, hit in the nose, and I learned to put my hand up. You know, seriously, think about it for a minute. You get hit in the nose enough, you learn to get your hand up there real quick before they hit you in the nose. Now, I'm just being real here. When something happens enough, if you, if you, you got to learn how to defend. You got to learn how to move away from it. These are things that are just natural. So God is in our heart. Walking with us daily, he wants a love relationship to teach us how to live. He wants to train us. He wants to be there. But what did he do that's so amazing? He took away the penalty of our sin first. So listen, when you mess up, you don't get kicked. You don't get hit. You're not going to get beat. You're not moved out of heaven. You still have your position of sanctification, which is perfection. See, that makes it lose its power, doesn't it? Wait a minute. I, I'm set free by truth? Are you serious? Just by knowing that I'm set free from the power of sin? I mean, the penalty's gone in the blood of Jesus. He took it all. Listen to me. He took my penalty. But now that I know he took it, truth keeps setting me free. Now there's no power in it. If I sin, I don't have to fear him anymore. I don't have to run. I don't need a covering. I don't have to go under the law and come up with something to go, how can I look perfect in front of God? He's in my heart. What I need to do is agree with him, confess it. And he's faithful and just to forgive it and then cleanse me. You don't have to run from him. You don't have to hide from him. He doesn't have to kill no more animals. There's no more law. There's perfect redemption in the blood of Jesus that removes the penalty. And if you believe the penalty's gone forever, then there's no power of sin. Oh, your flesh might like it. There might be a little bit of pleasure in sin for a moment. But then you're reminded that if the love of God is in you and this goodness exists and he died for you and he took it and I'm called to be a witness because I'm purchased with the blood of Jesus, this is not where I want my pleasure at. I want my pleasure to be in this love relationship where I become a witness and a messenger, an ambassador I become living evidence that there's a living and true God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for taking the penalty of our sin. That we can walk with you in freedom and liberty. We can follow you, that we've been set free to follow your spirit, to follow your plan, to follow your kingdom, to follow your authority and your government. And Lord, thank you that Peter would write us down the corridors of time because we're those pilgrims and aliens here. And we know the persecution's coming, Lord. And as Jesus prayed in John 
17. He said, I do not want you to take them out of the world, but I want you to keep them from the evil one, from wickedness. Then he said, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. Lord, that we would be those children that he prayed for down the corridors of time that would not desire to get out of, but to go through and be set apart and sanctified by your word, by your truth. Set us free this morning in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So beginning in verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, it need be, you have been grieved by various trials, manifold temptations, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to uh, praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of the Christ and the glories that would follow, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Father, again, bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 or excuse me, turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. And um, probably beginning in verse 5, I just explained or talked about a lot of this, but I want you to see it uh, in real time um, on the pages of Scripture, what's going on. Listen, truth sets us free. Are you free today? Are you still in bondage? Are you still living for self? Are you still chasing sin? Are you still hiding from God? Are you living under the law? And you you got some stuff covered, then you don't want nobody to know what's going on. Or are you free? Set free. What Christ has set free is free indeed. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. We're not of this world. We're pilgrims. I don't have time to teach all of Hebrews. I'd love to. It's great. It has to be done at the same time with Leviticus. And most people fall asleep with Leviticus. Um, But everything in Leviticus is a type or a shadow of Christ. Everything there was pointing to the Christ coming and dying for us. Everything. 
And the kofar of the law, Leviticus, the kofar is a covering. That's what it was called. So any blood that was spilled was just a covering so that God did not have to punish sin because he had already laid it on his son. See, God's outside of time and foreknowledge. He knew that Jesus already come. And so he's covering it. They look forward to the Christ. You and I look back to the Christ. Therefore, 10.5, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. God didn't desire that. But a body you have prepared for me um, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Think about that. All them dead animals, God had no pleasure in that. That was grace so that he didn't have to kill the Old Testament saints. Then I said, behold, I have come. I wonder who's talking here. Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. See, this is a Christ offering. This is Jesus speaking. What did he come to do? To do your will, O God. Now, see, if I would take this even further, we're going to read a little bit more. But when you find out what's going on here, see, unless the, unless the testator dies... It's actually in 9.16, you can read it. Uh, unless the person who wrote the will dies, his will is not in effect. We've talked about this before. It's all civil law. It's all true. It's all even in our court system today. Yet they try to hide everything that's about God. But really, God had a will. And, and in that will, the only way that his will can be enacted is if somebody dies, the testator, the one who wrote the will. So he comes to earth and dies, and now his will by the executor of the estate, the Holy Spirit, can be exacted. You get your inheritance if you're led by the Spirit of God, and you follow the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Because it's the Spirit that gives life, not the law. Listen to me. I found this out when I was going through the, the fire of the crucible. When my mom went to be with the Lord, and I was her power of attorney, and as soon as she quit breathing and went to be with Jesus, her POA no longer was in effect. The law no longer, they said, Where's the, where is the will? Who is the executor of her estate? And nothing could be done until those things were found out. Now the law has no power. That was allowing me to do everything for her. See, the Old Testament saints could do everything for God, but they had to do it under the law according to the sacrificial systems of the law. And then when God came and died for us, it sets them free to be led by the Spirit of God and receive the inheritance of God. And that's what's going on in our lives today. See, I don't think we put that together. The will of God is his will. It's his written document. If you look it up in the Strong's, that's exactly what it says. It's a written document. It's this word of God that tells us everything we need to know. And as the spirit of God, the one who is the executive of the estate, hands out the spoils from heaven, the inheritance that we received as joint heirs, it all lines up with this word that he has written. It all follows it perfectly. Christ lived it perfectly, and he gives us that perfection. And when he does, and we receive it, and it truly happens, we're sanctified positionally, starting line, and then practically we begin to run a race. 
Are you running the race? Are you running it to win? Are you training for it with a whole lot of weight attached to you? As Hebrews 12 says, if you turn a couple, you don't have to, but, you know, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So let's keep reading here in Hebrews 10, 8. He came to do the will of God. That's obey. That's what he came to do. And he did it perfectly, even to death on a cross. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Oh, he said it again. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established, please. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Old is gone, in with the new. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Listen, once for all. Every person can be sanctified into the body of Christ in belief because he died once for all. He's not dying again. He's only going to die once for all. Anybody who believes that in their heart and confesses it with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And every priest, now he gives you an example of what was going on under law. Every other priest stood ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sin. They only cofard, they only covered. But this man, the God man, he had, he had, after he had offered one sacrifice, notice he was the priest, he offered himself, obediently doing the will of God, for sins forever, he sat down, only one place to sit in heaven, in the throne room, that's the throne of God, because he was God, he was God, very God, at the right hand of God, the power, see, don't deny the power thereof, we're going to talk about that in a minute. His blood is the power. His resurrection is the power. His gospel message is the power. From that time, waiting. So what's he doing as he sits up here? He's praying for us, and he's waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. All of them are going to be put underneath his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected, completed forever those who are being sanctified. Now, that's a present tense there. Are you being sanctified? Because if you were baptized into the body of Christ, God has promised he will complete the work he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you have been baptized, the spirit dwells in you and you will be sanctified and you are being sanctified and you're going to be running the race and you're going to be looking to do what God has asked you to do. And that is to fulfill your ministry the ministry of reconciliation of souls. Well, how do we do that, Greg? Well, we ask God, we talk to God, we get in the Word, we ask Him what our gifting is, we run in our lane, we learn what part of the body we are, and we begin to tell people and show people by our, our very lifestyles that Christ is living and true. But notice you have been perfected, that's positional, but then you are practically being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us 
For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. That's what's in his will. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds, I will write them. You hear me? Sanctification includes God's word, God's law, God's, God's uh, pre-written requirements. He puts it in your heart. It's not on tablets of stone anymore. Anybody remember me teaching this before? I need to be reminded of it, so I figure you need to be reminded of it. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. See, there doesn't have to be continually standing and offering and offering and offering like the Old Testament. It's complete in Christ. It's finished in Christ. You are perfected in Christ. The question is, are you in Christ? The evidence is, and if you desire to be further sanctified, if you enter into, or are you deceiving yourself? He says, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. There's your proof. If you want to know, am I really running? Am I really doing this? Did I really believe? Is the Holy Spirit in me? You ever ask that question? Oh, it's okay to say stuff like that. It's okay to remember the stone you were hewn from. It's okay. I wouldn't question my salvation all the time, but if I'm not doing nothing different than what I did 20 years ago, if I'm not doing nothing different than I did six months ago, if I'm not growing in my testimony, if I'm not looking and desiring to become more like God, I would say, what went wrong? Because it's not God's power that went wrong. God is perfect. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God loves us. God is coming alongside, encouraging us. He wants us to run this race. Back up a couple pages. 9-11. Oh, that's an important date. 9-11 is the scripture, Hebrews 9-11. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come. Oh, now it might seem sometimes, oh, man, this hurts, but it's good things to come. They're coming. That's your hope. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That's his tent. He came down in a tent, but there's, it's a shadow of the one that's in heaven. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all. Listen. Everybody, this shoots Calvinist in the foot, by the way, and you guys might not even know what that means, but just for anybody that's a Berean. Having obtained eternal redemption, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, notice he's sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of flesh, stay with me, people, under the law, it was just purifying the flesh. It was just covering. How much more shall the blood of Christ, remember his perfect obedience, remember he's God, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse, wash and cleanse your conscience from dead works, to go on and live for yourself. 
Oh, no, no. What does your Bible say? To serve the living God. Yeah. See, see if, you, if your conscience has been cleansed, if your morality has been changed, if your direction and you now have a living hope, because that's what it's doing. It changes how you think. The Spirit of God comes in, married to your spirit, and it changes your direction so you can serve the living God, not go on serving yourself. Not go on living like you're dead because you've come to life. And really, the word conscience there, let me look and see if I've got it somewhere. Oh, here it is. Co-perception. It means your moral consciousness. And here's what it is. It's from a word that means to see completely, to understand, and to become aware of the lie, to become informed of immorality, to understand now because your eyes are open. I was once blind, but now I see what righteousness is and unrighteousness is. Now I see what uncleanness is and what cleanness is. Now I see what morality looks like by God and what immorality looks like. See, that's why he, because he wrote it on our hearts. And so now we have to make a decision. Am I going to go on following my own dead self and dead works? Or am I going to allow the power of God to lead me forward into a living hope and tell others about it? Okay, let's go back to Peter. Do a little bit of sword drills here. I don't know how far I'm going to get in Peter because I'm just telling you what God told me to tell you. So. Uh, it's what's on my heart. Blessed be, it's it's First Peter 1, 3, as we continue the introduction of Peter, uh, who is in Rome, seeing people killed. He knows that things are going to get bad. Remember we read that last week, right? Let's read it again. First, first Peter 4, Sorry, I got to do it. 12. We're not going to get no new message this week. 1 Peter 4, 12, just a little bit. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he, bla he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, so you don't live in the old life, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, being Christ-like, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who did not obey the gospel of God? Listen, obey again. Believe the blood. Notice that judgment starts in the house of God. Now, many people will try to tell you that this means, oh, this is talking about the white throne judgment. This is talking about when you on the other side. No, it begins here. It's probably talking of both. But right now, we're judging our own actions. We're judging our own salvation, our own sanctification. It begins with shaking and fiery trials. And if we're not going through them, if we're not in them, if we're not letting God to bring us to them and perfect us into his image, then we have to 
wonder what's going on. Judgment can be conviction of morality. And say, wait a minute, this is not what I should be doing. I shouldn't be talking about them. I shouldn't be acting like this. I shouldn't be doing these things. These are not things that reconcile. These are not things that remind people of remission. These are not things that reveal and uncover the life of Christ. It begins with us first because we're in God's house if we're truly his children. The shaking is with us. Notice what's being shaken out in the world right now. Notice what's going on. The true church standing up. Those that are following the false harlot system are joining with the government. Listen to me. Who's your government? Who's your authority? This is clear and easy stuff when we read our Bible and we ask the Spirit of God to direct us and lead us. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Well, of course, they'll appear at the white throne judgment. If he was talking about the future, wouldn't he have said that a little bit better than that? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. Let me just read one more passage. And we're going to get to these. It's 3.13. I know I'm doing this book a little bit chopped up. We're going to get to it. We're going to talk about it. First Peter 3.13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Notice how these go together. We're supposed to be understanding that we commit our souls to him who is in doing good as a faithful creator and then who is going to harm you if you become followers of what is good not joining with the harlotry of the systems that are following the government but the word of god but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor their trouble but sanctify the lord god in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile you, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Listen to me. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart put him first his authority his word his honor you're setting him apart he has set us apart he obediently died on the cross and poured out his blood to sanctify us and give us a hope in the future and now he just asked us to also do the same thing with him and that's the only way you're going to get out of this world alive it's the only way Set him apart in your heart and say, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with God, and I'm a vessel of God. Remember how that happened? We talked about this a hundred times. The vessels in the temple, everything. God said, make this temple, get the gifted artisans. Here they come. I give them gifts. They're going to start making stuff. They're going to make it out of gold. Gold is always deity. They're going to design this stuff. It's going to look like this. And when it goes in to the temple, what is it? Now, everything it's used for, it's got to be used for the worship and the service of God for his glory. And if it's not... 
it becomes profane and harlotry. And so now you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. You've been brought into his house. And now you're a vessel of honor for him if you're being sanctified. And everything you do should be for worship and service of him. And if it's not, it's harlotry and idolatry. Same simple thing. Because we're going to see here in the text like I was talking about. At the end of Peter right there about 10 and 11. What does it say? It says that the prophets, they wrote all this stuff down so that we would know what we were supposed to be doing. They didn't even understand what they was writing down. But the Old Testament is our example. It's for our learning. It's for our admonition. It's all there on purpose. So why does the great harlot that's on this side of the cross want us to jettison the Old Testament? Because it's the foundation. It's the place where we make sure we're doing the right thing in the New Testament in the church. So the, the, the harlot that's joined with Rome, they want to get rid of not just the word of God, but let's get rid of that chapter. Let's get rid of that. That's a Jewish book. Let's just get rid of it. And we're the church. And what they're really doing is death culture, saying no to the word of God and the foundation that he's laid in 66 books by 40 authors that all go together. And what do you end up with? You end up with the number of man. The number of man is six, Right? And if he takes these 66 books without power, the spirit, it becomes 666. And you have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. And it's all harlotry. But if you join God and you're sanctified, you become a seven. You're perfected in heaven. And then the perfect seven is 777. That's the finish line. Notice there's three parts there. You have the starting line, the body of the race we're supposed to be running now and sanctified, and then we're glorified. That's where it rests at. That's where you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Or at least that's the way my little brain understands all of this, and so I run. Blessed be the God and Father. We're back in 1 Peter 1.3. Did I get a little excited? It's good stuff if we just get in it. Kind of like the ice cream that we eat. I'm looking at my wife. She makes me eat it. So if you notice a little plumpness to me, it's because of my wife. It's that woman God gave me. Do you notice that in the church today? Listen to me. Good old sin. Everybody's looking for a, to be a victim. That's what the world's doing. See, it's the harlot. Good old blame. Let's blame somebody. First, they set your heart up to blame, which is your sin nature. You're supposed to be a Christian. Why would you be blaming everybody else for your problems? But we're all victims. We all look for somebody to blame. If you're blaming everybody instead of running the race, instead of walking it out, you're still looking at the dog that bit you. If you're still looking at what happened then when you've become new, then you, you're living in the flesh. It's sin. If you're covering the sin of the dog that bit you, that's godliness. Love covers a multitude of sins. And I'm not saying cover up crime. Call the police if you need be. But pretty soon they're going to defund them because they're killing everything. So who are you going to call then? So your hope has to be in Jesus. That's the final picture. The final frame. We have to wake up here. Is he ever going to get to this text? Blessed be. Why is blessed be the God and Father? Because he's the one in his foreknowledge has set all of this up to redeem people who did not love him, who did not know they needed redemption. And he did it through his own blood, his own son, for sanctification, to bring us back into a right relationship in his house 
by the, for obedience for the sprinkling of the blood. That's why he's blessed forevermore. His wisdom is, is beyond knowing. And we sit and go, my phone on. I'm just being a little facetious. We're so caught up with all these other things that we think we need when he's our all in all. He's everything. And he just wants to walk with us daily. He wants to live in our heart. He wants to come in and tear down those walls that separate you and create relationship and reconcile you and show you how much he loves you. Yet we've been so designed in the world because of hurt and pain and suffering that we think, I can't get close to anybody. See, that's the devil. That's the garden. And God says, this hurt and pain isn't going to end when you come to me. I'm going to use it as a refining fire. I'm going to use the, all that happened as a testimony. What the devil meant for bad, I'll use it for good. But all that's coming now, I'm going to use it so you'll die to self and trust in my power and learn to be my child. And I can perfect you as you trust me when you go through the fire, as you trust me when you go through the trial. He's blessed. He's the one we should be worshiping. He's the one we should be speaking of. Means to, to adore, or from a word to speak well and to praise. He's the one we should be glorifying with our lives. He's the one we should be given witness and testimony of. He's the one we should be ambassadors for. He's the one that's blessed forevermore. And yet we want to talk about each other. We want to talk about all kinds of other things when it's all in him. He's the one that has this great creation and great knowledge and has spoken and created the heavens and the earth, and he has separated us. That's amazing grace. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his first, middle, and last name. No, it's not. See, even that's confusing in the church. We think Lord Jesus Christ is his first, middle, and last name. Lord is who he is, kurios. He's supreme in authority. Jesus is his earthly name, but it means God is salvation. And Christ is Messiah. That's his anointing. That's what he was called to do by God and sent here for. Who according to his abundant mercy... Oh, my goodness, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Have you been born again? Have you been begotten again? It's because of God's mercy. See, mercy is getting what you do not deserve. Titus 3, 5, and 6. Because of the Lord's mercy... He saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's mercies. Oh, wait a minute. What does that say? Anybody know it? Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Oh, my goodness. My brain lost it. Nobody knows it. Are you serious? We've memorized that verse so many times, and my brain blanks and yours blanks. 
I know what it is. It's talking about his mercies being new every morning because great is his faithfulness, but I can't get the first word for it. His compassions fell not. They are new every morning. There it is. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fell not. They are new every morning. Amen. You guys get that? The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Yeah, my brain was supposed to have that marked, and I didn't have it marked, and then I, I thought I already knew it. Mercy. See, now people will say to you, oh, we're saved by grace. Not apart from his mercy. First, God said, I'm not going to give them what they deserve because they're sinners. And because of that mercy, he says, now we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you can't work your way into it. You are his poema, though, is the next verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. But it has to be done according to his will according to his sanctification, according to his gifting, according to his power, or it's harlotry. See, to know these things, you can know all of it. But if you don't have the relationship from walking with him and being led by the Spirit, they're just knowledge that puffs up and follows the harlotry of the world. It follows the same system that keeps you lost. But when you walk with him and you develop a relationship with him and you obey him, it produces this love relationship and sanctifications where you're becoming like him and you desire to lay your life down for others. All the knowledge just puffs up and you continue living for yourself and says, I'm still going to get the most toys. I'm saved though because I said a prayer. That's deception. That's the great harlot. That's not someone who dies for themselves. That's not a martyr. That's not a witness for Christ. They, who can find a faithful man, the proverb says. Everyone wants to witness for themselves. Talk about their ministry. Talk about their. I, I, I is from the devil. But who will be a faithful witness for Christ? I pray that it would be us. He's begotten us again. According to his abundant, it's abundant. It means large. It means much. It means you can keep coming. He's, we're born again. To a living hope. Why? Because he's alive. Why? Because he's not dead. Why? Because the word is living. Why? Because he is life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's impossible to kill God. You can, you can be deceived. You can disobey. You can reject his payment. But you can't kill him. He can cast you into hell. But you can't kill him. Through the resurrection, through the standing up again of Jesus Christ from the dead. Of course, every sermon of the Old Testament talked about the resurrection. Why? Because it's the evidence that he was the Messiah. It actually becomes the hope. We talked about this last week. 
When, when, when they thought he was dead, we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. But when they seen him alive, when they understood the resurrection, when they understood that because he was sinless and he was obedient, that he was back alive, it gave them a living hope. They said, yes, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear the devil. We don't have to follow the lie. We actually know he's alive, so we can be alive once again. He's defeated death. Now, everything that he says becomes true. Why? Because he does what he said he's going to do. That's the whole point of the devil. He's trying to, in some way, make you think, even while he's trying to do it to God, that if he can just take something God has said and make it not true, then he can become God. But there's no lie in God. And through his foreknowledge, see, Satan don't have the foreknowledge like God does. Satan's not everywhere like God is. Satan's not all-powerful like God is because God created Satan. So if he can get you to believe just one little thing, just one little thing, it becomes disobedience. It can become harlotry taken to its furthest place. It can end in apostasy if it takes you out of the way. Isn't that what he did with Eve? He gave her a 99% truth and 1% lie. And here we all are, born with sin natures. God give us a new heart. He perfected us. He's sanctifying us. He wrote it on our hearts. It's a living hope. Remember the wharf rats? Remember the wharf rats? The scientists, they actually did this in Norway. Norwegian wharf rats. I love telling that. I love talking about things. that, And they called it the salvation experience. That's exactly what they called it. Remember they put the whole group of, of uh, wharf rats in a bathtub with water swirling? And they died in 17 minutes. Sorry, animal lovers. It's an experiment. Then they took another group of them, and they put them in there, and at 16 minutes, they pulled them out of the water. They dried them off. They fed them. They took care of them. They put them back in a couple weeks later, and they lasted 36 hours. Not 17 minutes. They held on for hope. There was a living hope because they knew somebody was going to come get them. Do you know that hope today? Do you trust that Jesus is coming? He's coming back soon. It's really getting ready to happen. Or you could be a scoffer and a mocker just like the rest of the world. And the scoffers and the markers, mockers prove that the Bible is real. Because God said they would be here. They're just proving the word of God. They're just giving me more evidence to run on. And to have faith in. And to have hope in. Listen, there's a fiery trial coming for your life. Now, it might not be that, like in Fox's Book of Martyrs where you're sewed up in the belly of, of raw skin uh, from an animal and you're alive and they sick the lions on that raw skin. It might not be that bad, but it could be. This is what Peter's talking to them about. They were killing them. They were impaling them with sticks in their, in their buttocks and using them as live torches while they had orgies out in the yard. You think this is not evil? You think this is not death culture? And then Paul writes a letter and says, Obey your authorities. Obey the governments. 
See, we've got some type of harlotry going on in the church today where we just do what we want to do, and if it feels good, keep going. If it doesn't, and we're deceiving ourselves. Be doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourself, James told us. See, James was deceived when Jesus was alive. James, his half-brother, did not receive him, did not believe him, did not follow him. He actually mocked him. But his nickname became Camelnese because after he resurrected, he believed. And he prayed so much in that hot sand that he got calluses on his knees. And he became the unofficial leader of the church in Rome. We have to understand that this is evil. And that God did not pray to take us out of the world, but to keep us from the evil. And the only way to be kept from the evil is to be led by the Spirit and believe the truth of this word. Because if you believe what they're selling, it leads you astray into the harlot tree of the great whore of Babylon. But if you believe what Jesus is telling us, truth incarnate, because he sprinkled his blood for us, it leads you into a new and living way. It leads you into heaven. And it gives you a voice to tell others so they can be set free. He's risen from the dead. He got back up. He's not dead. We're born again. We're begotten again to a living hope because of the resurrection. What for? To an inheritance. He could, see, because you can't just believe he got up. You can't just turn from your sin. You've got to turn to the new house. There's two fathers. There's the father of lies and there's the father of truth. We were born following a father who has a house that is death. And we've been given a new and living way, and we can turn to. There's an inheritance that goes with. See it? To an inheritance. Inheritance. If I was talking about your rich uncle that died, you would perk up. How much did he leave me? I got to investigate this. I got to make sure the lawyer doesn't get all of it. Not picking on lawyers, just knowing what's going on here. I got to make sure I get this. I would start asking, well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is the one that hands out the inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the one that knows. He knows what you need. He knows what God has given you and prepared for you. And he's the one that can make intercession for you and lead you in the way you're supposed to go. It's an inheritance. Do you care about this inheritance? By the way, when we're talking about our conscience and moral truth, Resurrection means to stand up again, but it also means a recovery of moral truth. That's what Jesus gives you in the resurrection, is a recovery of moral truth to a new and living way. The inheritance means um, a share by lot of the possessions. It's heirship. And it's, index, it, it, it's incorruptible. Notice the next word. And to an inheritance, this is what we've been born again to, begotten to, a new family of God, an inheritance that's incorruptible. Now, see, I'm real simple, so I have to look this stuff up. It means it doesn't decay. 
And I don't know about you guys, but if you're a Bible student, then I automatically thought, oh my goodness, Jesus' body couldn't see decay. So I ran over to Acts 2 and I looked that up. It's a different word, but it means kind of like the same thing. So it really didn't add up. Um, but it means immortal. And here, let me tell you, don't do this with any dictionary, but if you use a Webster's 1828 dictionary, it's okay to use a dictionary to help you with your Bible. Don't use today's dictionary. It's like using today's versions of the Bible, the CVS and all that. What is that what it is, CVS? The drugstore, Pharmacia. That's what I meant. It was a joke. Somebody will get that pretty soon. CSV, CVS, Pharmacia, Pharmacy. You keep doing these new versions. That's all they are. They're pharmacy. They're sorcery. We got to stay understanding what the Word of God is, or you're going to be led away by the harlot. Never mind. So, the Webster's 1828 says immortality is this having no principle of alteration or corruption, exempt from death. So, this inheritance that we get because of the blood of Jesus is exempt from death, having life or being that shall never end. And this inheritance is never-ending, everlasting, and will continue. See, this is new life. It's everlasting. It's undefiled. It means it's pure, and it's unsoiled. And it does not fade or fadeth away is the next thing that this inheritance is. And, and that means unfading, or listen, perpetual. Perpetual. Again, Webster says, never ceasing. Continuing forever, everlasting, endless. And it is reserved in heaven for you. You ever have reservations and show up and they not be there? At a restaurant or a motel? Listen, the Spirit of God knows those are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ abstain from ungodliness. The Spirit knows, and you're reserved in heaven an inheritance, a place, a house, a mansion, whatever that may be. Whether you believe it's a new body to survive there, whatever you believe it is, it's eternal in the heavenlies. It's secure if you have been sanctified first, baptized into the body. And if you are being sanctified, you're continuing, you're abiding, you're remaining, and you're looking to do the will of God for the glory of God, not continuing to live your own self-life and get the most toys because you really don't win, you die. So it is reserved. If you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God through sanctification, sealed, earnest money paid down, down payment, then you have a reservation in heaven. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. But where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. It's reserved just for you. And if I go away, I'll come again. That where I am, you might be. No, you shall be. He's coming. That's the living hope. He's coming. Are you getting ready? Are you adorning yourself as a bride? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to further clothe you and make you like our groom? It's reserved in heaven for you. For who? That's you. This is your possession. You. It's personal. Listen, 
It ain't got nothing to do with the church you're in unless it's the ecclesia, the called out ones that are elect because of foreknowledge. Listen, it's you, personal. We just happen to be being equipped right here today. What do you mean you who are kept by the power of God? How are you kept by the power of God? How is that done? Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, that's the end of, end of the line, the last time. Are you kept? Are you protected? Are you being kept by God? Listen, it means to be a watcher in advance, to mount guard as a sentinel. There's a guard there who's protecting you. He's keeping you. He's watching over you. See, that's what the Spirit of God. And see, we, we know that Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says to worry about nothing, to be anxious about nothing, but all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, if that Spirit's in your heart and you're sanctified and you're sealed, it's guarding you, it's keeping you. Nobody can come in and take over your house if you're truly sanctified and baptized into the body of Christ. Nobody can do that because they'd have to overthrow Christ and His power. We're kept by His power. See, when we get truth, it opens our eyes. When we get truth, we can run a race. The world tries to tell you they know everything, but you know how they're, they just keep, they keep getting smarter. God already knows everything, and He wrote it down for you. The world just starts learning it. You mean we really shouldn't do that? No, that's bad for you. Oh, we just figured that out. We thought in the 60s that was good for you. Now we're finding out that's bad for you. Scratch that out. Let's start over again. See, God already knows. His science doesn't change. I always, you guys know how I spell conscience? How do you guys spell conscience? I always see con and science on there. That's what I see. Every time I look at that word, because my brain is weird. And so if you listen to the world, you, you, you're listening to some cons on some science. Or you can have your conscience changed by the Spirit of God, because of the blood of God, for the glory of God. You can actually understand what morality is and what light is without the con. Okay? Because that's what the devil is. He's a con. He's not even a good father. He's a lying father. He doesn't even take care of his children. He just doesn't want you to get to the true father. That's why you're an orphan. Until you come to Jesus, then you have a real father. See, we can't get through this stuff. Somebody's got to stop him. Kept by the power of God. Of course, the power of God is dunamis. It's that miraculous power that God says he'll give you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, Acts 1.8. The boys were trying to worry about when you're going to do this, when you're going to do that, when you're going to do this. And he says, don't even worry about those things. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do what? To be a witness of the gospel, of the resurrection, of a living hope, of the truths that are in Christ Jesus. Power. Let's close this out. Kept by the power of God through faith 
You have to trust him. It has to be confident trust. Listen, that's why the devil plays with fear. That's why the devil cons you with his science. That's why the devil does everything that he's doing to keep you from walking by faith. And you want to look and go, ah, and you see it by sight. And you start to sink like Peter did after he stepped out of the boat. Just get your eyes fixed back on Jesus. He's the author and the finisher. He's the truth for salvation. That's safety, ready to be revealed, uncovered in the last time. Look at 2 Timothy 3. Sorry, went a little long today, about four hours. I just want you to know that 2 Timothy 3, we've been warned that perilous times will come. And when you read that chapter, the word perilous means a reduction in strength. Whatever you think it might mean, it's a reduction in strength of your faith to trust God. Why? Because there's an attack on the Word of God. When you begin to read the Word of God and see the Word of God and the truth of God, it is going to increase your faith in God. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But you don't hear just to go, I heard that. It's here with an intent to obey. That's how your faith grows. Here with a heart to obey because it's coupled with the Spirit of God that's washing and cleansing you through the Word of God. Those are all together. It can't just be, I was listening to that message. That knowledge will puff up and you will still be afraid of the world. You'll still flee when the enemy comes. Listen, listen. The foot soldiers are here, but here comes the horsemen. Are you ready? See, that's what God is preparing us for in perilous times. Read this with me. I'm going to just get you to it. Listen, he talks about all these attitudes that are in the church. Perilous times will come. Why? Because we rejected the word of God and the faith of God and the love of God. And we're not being sanctified by God, but we have a form of godliness. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And listen, he says, from such people, the harlot, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, could be the gullible church that just listen to any good orator, loaded down with sins, they want to continue in their flesh, led away by various desires, lust. I want to do this, this church says I can. Always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus is the truth. And then he gives us a good example of these who pretended and played and acted in the world's court. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, this was the magicians in Pharaoh's court, that when, when Moses threw his staff down and it became an alligator, sorry, I know you've been told snake, then they threw theirs down. His alligator ate their alligator. Sorry, go back and read it. They resisted Moses. Moses was the one that came and said, let my people go. Moses is the one drawn out. He represents the church, those that are drawn out. So do these also resist the truth. Who? These who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They're part of the great harlot, Mystery Babylon. They're building some system that I call culturanity all the time. But it has nothing to do with the power of God. And if you tell them the truth of God, they resist it. Denying the power of God means to contradict by our lifestyle. To refuse to be sanctified. 
and he says they resist, and that means stand against, opposed. It, it, it's actually what we're supposed to be doing. So you're either in one or two places. You're either standing against God, resisting truth, or you're standing with God. There's only two places to stand. Where do you stand today? Are you being led by the Spirit? Have you been sanctified? Do you have a new and living hope, a new and living way? Not asking you to be perfect. You are perfected positionally, but we're being perfected as we follow, as we're led, as we're being kept by the power of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that truth does set us free, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I